Hi, you're listening to the Stefan Levera podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. So today for episode 195, my guest is Nick's Bitcoin Dev. He is the pseudonymous creator behind Nick's Bitcoin, a project to create a more secure and functional Bitcoin node and higher layer software also. This show brought to you by Swan. If you're in the US, you should absolutely get your auto stacking on with Swan. It's so simple, even a no-coiner could do it. One, auto fund USD from your bank account. Two, auto stack your Bitcoin. Three, auto withdraw your Bitcoin to your cold storage. Swan does not charge withdrawal fees. They want you to follow Bitcoin best practices and hold your own keys. Swan crushes Coinbase's fees for recurring buys by up to 80% and beats Cash App's fees by up to 57%. So set and forget, enjoy your life, just swan and chill. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash lavera to start auto stacking with swan today, and you'll get $10 of Bitcoin dropped into your account when you start stacking with swan. This episode also brought to you by Unchained Capital, Bitcoin native financial services using multi-signature to provide customers unprecedented financial freedom and control. Do you need a way to look after your security? Well, Unchained offer two of three multi-signature vaults. So for example, you can take one Trezor and one Ledger and use those both on the Unchained-Capital website and you can set up your vault. It's a really easy web interface. If you need guidance, there is offerings there available, such as the Vault Concierge onboarding package. And if you need USD, you can get a loan. You can put up some Bitcoin and not sell that Bitcoin. That Bitcoin is not rehypothecated, and you also share in the security by holding one of three keys. Go and find out more at unchained-capital.com. Nick's Bitcoin Dev, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Obviously, as you're under a pseudonym, uh, don't dox anything about yourself, but can you just tell us a little bit in terms of like, what you're interested in about Bitcoin and is it the computer science aspects or what aspects of it interest you? So uh, I came into Bitcoin pretty much from the privacy angle because I've always, pretty much since I've touched a computer, I've thought it's really like an extension of the human brain. So it deserves the same protection security-wise as the content in your brain, which is absolute. So um, that's really the angle I came into Bitcoin from where I saw, wow, this is this kind of money that if we use it properly, it can guarantee that level of privacy in, in our financial transactions. And obviously, a great part of privacy on Bitcoin is running your own node and having your own hardware. And so I've been really primed always for something like Nick's Bitcoin. And when I saw it, Jonas Nick working on it, I immediately saw the power in this platform. We'll get into that later with uh, Nick's OS. And that's kind of where I started even to program with him. And it's been a really interesting trip from there. Great. So let's start with what is Nick's Bitcoin? What is Nix Bitcoin? <laughs> it uses uh, Nix OS, which is this novel approach to a Linux distribution to ship a deterministic and reproducible Bitcoin node to users. Uh, Nix OS is basically um, the, it's a purely functional operating system. So uh, what that means is that it uh, builds the entire operating system from the source code of every application of the Linux kernel and um, 
turns that into a gigantic formula, which will result in the same system every single time it's deployed. One of the interesting things when I was looking into Nix OS is, uh, I guess, one of the ways Nix distinguishes itself is around its package management and how a new configuration cannot overwrite a previous one. Can you expand a little bit on that? Why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, um, starting from being purely functional, what that means is that it, uh, instead of doing package management in the way that traditional Linux operating systems do it where they download binaries, it uh, takes this approach where it uh, links different, kind of, different kinds of programs, source code together, and then builds those on top of each other. And how that pertains to um, what you said about versions is that you can always roll back to that previous version where the formula resulted in that source code building on top of each other. You can always go back to that and you can always start from that again. And that's where the atomic nature of NixOS comes from. And we use that. That's one of the greatest features that make Nix Bitcoin so special is that it will, when, if you had a sane configuration at some point that works, you can always go back to that. It, you can't really fuck up your, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on your show, but you can't mess up your system. You cannot, it's, you can always roll back to the last pr previous functionally, um, uh, functional state. And so I suppose this helps us in the way that we have, I guess, if I'm understanding you, it's that we have more surety that we're running the right code, right? And that's, I guess that's coming, tying back to the reproducible aspect you were touching on earlier, right? Exactly. That That's one aspect. And security is at the heart of Nix Bitcoin, but security doesn't really help you when your node is broken or it's not working. So from the very start, that's the number one priority. And Nix OS is strong in both aspects. And that allows us to make Nix Bitcoin strong in both aspects. Then I presume the idea is that you would install Nix OS and then you would install this Nix Bitcoin. And it's like a, is it? kind of like a scripted set of packages that all install together or can you well, outline a little bit about how that works? Exactly where we're different from the other um, uh, the other node projects is that it's not a bunch of scripts on top of each other. It's um, the way it works is you don't need NixOS installed on your local system, on your workstation where you're deploying from. Uh, you only need NixOS installed on the hardware or cloud, wherever you want to deploy it to. Um, so that, that machine runs NixOS and from your whatever, even Mac works, but uh, from your uh, Linux computer, you can just download the GitHub repo, uh, execute Nix shell that puts you inside a, a command line environment with everything you need. And then all you need to really do is do some settings in configuration.nix and then deploy. And every time you deploy with that configuration and that um, state of the repository, you'll get the exact same node. I see. Okay. So is it kind of, again, I'm not a developer, but is it kind of like a VM in some ways then? You're kind of running this little VM in, on your machine and that is its own little contained. That's, that's possible. That's not the way I use it, but that is possible to deploy to a VM on your own machine, but 
where I think it really makes sense is to deploy it to a standalone device, uh, to a standalone device in the cloud or physically, but uh, that's always running. That's that's what how I use it, but it's possible if you want to play around with it to deploy it to a virtual machine. The, that virtual machine would kind of be exactly that, a virtual machine the same way that a dedicated device is, which is running NixOS and then receives your, it's difficult to explain. I, I didn't understand for so long, even while I was working on it, <laughs> how NixOS, really the magic of it is that it, um, it is this new approach, this functional approach, uh, functional programming approach to uh, systems management where it builds an entire system basically mathematically to uh, deploy to either any any machine that's running NixOS. I guess the idea is this is something that people could take an old laptop and then run Nix Bitcoin on it. And that's their way of running their whole stack of Bitcoin software and not just, you know, Bitcoin Core, but also running Electrum Rust server and so on. Uh, or they could put it onto a dedicated PC box that they keep in their house uh, or like on a VPS, as you mentioned, like an external server, yeah. virtual private server. That's um, right now uh, we use it. Uh, I use it myself. Uh, Jonas uses it. Um, Jonas's brother with Donner Lab, their entire back end is built with Nix Bitcoin. I don't know if you know about his project, but they're uh, gaming with Lightning, doing gaming on Lightning. So uh, it really works in a range of setups. And we've had a lot of just drive by contributors uh, deploying to uh, virtual machines or even NixOS containers on their own machine just to play around with it. So this is what, what why when I think when Yuna saw NixOS, he saw that it was a perfect opportunity for a Bitcoin node uh, because it's so it gives you the structure that you can always deploy uh, that you can deploy onto a range of devices with. Maybe we're sort of covering back over what we meant, what you mentioned earlier, but what's the benefit of say Nix Bitcoin over somebody who is Let's say they're using, you know, Cubes OS, or they're using Debian or Ubuntu, which are other, uh, well, Ubuntu and Debian, which are some of the well-known Linux flavors. So, uh, when you install a Debian system, you have so many packages. You and that's one of the more minimal distributions. You have a Python. You have sometimes even a print server stuff that you'll never need with a Bitcoin node. Uh, you and you deploy onto that machine that has so much attack surface that um, is completely unnecessary. What NixOS does is it really just deploys a system that has a Bitcoin node, and through that functional uh, setup, uh, the functional approach that NixOS has, it just will deploy with the dependencies you absolutely need based on your exact setup. That's benefit number one. Is that kind of security. And benefit number two is that um, you can always deploy back to old states, new states, disable features that go really deep into the system. So for example, uh, we're, ha we we're working on this huge project for the last two months um, that basically built this Linux kernel feature called network namespaces. 
deep into uh, Nix Bitcoin that every service that runs on your machine runs inside its own Linux network namespace. And with another distribution, it would be extremely difficult to switch between that kind of a setup and a, uh, a setup without network namespaces. You'd have to have very complicated shell scripts, very complicated logic to roll back and forth. With NixOS, it's just switching one option and that's it. And you can always go back and forth, back and forth and experiment around and always return to a working state. In order to install Nix Bitcoin, does the user have to be using some flavor of Linux or can they, I guess they can use it on a Mac or a Windows as well? How would that, how would that work? I think a Mac is uh, possible. Mac works. Windows, uh, I, I've not tried it. I, we have had no interest in doing that. Um, but I think that the, the way where this project is going is definitely uh, making it accessible to uh, everybody on a wide range of platforms and basically putting all that um, logic, all the NixOS stuff inside uh, the box itself. And then uh, you'll never have to worry about having another uh, laptop where uh, where Nix is properly installed and running and uh, that you've properly secured. Uh, I think that's, we've often talked about that uh, and it would also build on it's on the machine. So you never have an issue with compiling uh, Linux software on on Windows, for example. Let's talk a little bit about the target market or the target audience. Who is Nix Bitcoin for? Uh, right now, it's for the next Bitcoin developers who are using it to deploy their own nodes and for the um, startup uh, and that's using it. And it's really um, in the beginning steps. It's We've done so much right at the foundation level. We've spent so much work uh, really going in-depth on all these Linux options. Wow, you can do this with Systemd. You can do this security feature. You can... Um, use a hardened kernel, all this stuff that nobody else worries about. We've spent all the time worrying about that. So um, that's why it's really useful for um, us at the moment. But I think that slowly as we um, build out the foundation, which is very strong, we can focus on uh, making it available. And um, you'll see that in the next year, re really coming into... Um, being able to be used by uh, people f basically familiar with the Linux command line. And I hope if we get uh, more uh, attention, then also we can have the resources to make this graphical that everybody can use it. And I hope that uh, you'll also be able to use it. And I I'm actually very confident that we'll get there. Right, I see. And so I guess just for listeners to characterize this, we would say this is very early stage and it, you need to be more highly technically proficient before it gets to, down to the, let's say, the tech-savvy Bitcoiner level and then the next level beyond that, which is the, you know, the kind of just the average uh, tech-savvy person who's maybe not that into Bitcoin, but they can sort of figure it out. It's We're nowhere near that level yet. Uh, but maybe just to... But the level we're on is... Uh, what's really important, what's been important to me is that we're, uh, we, the software works, the software is secure, 
in, in the greatest extent that we've been able to make it so. And um, that it's actually uh, really, I, I use it every day with um, basically, uh, I don't know if you've ever used it, Spark Wallet, which is a front end for sea um, lightning yep. sea lightning and i make all my lightning payments like that so it's actually you know it's really a living piece of software but um that magic that beauty will uh take its time to spread because there's a kind of hurdle and sometimes when people hear nix os they think oh i've never used that it's really complicated but the way it's already at this moment is that you really just need to drop into a Nix shell with one command and then uh, edit your configuration file, which is a text file, uh, uncomment a few things that you want, what kind of services you want, and then just deploy. And that's that's that. So I think we're really, um, uh, it's, it's at a good point. It's not uh, super um, finicky. It's functional. And now we're taking it one step at a time to make it uh, available. Uh, you were touching on this a little bit before, but it might be useful for listeners just to understand where Nixit Bitcoin is sort of situated. If you could help us understand the difference between Nix Bitcoin and some of the popular, well-known plug-and-play Bitcoin nodes, such as you know MyNode or Noddle or Raspberry Blitz or Ronin Dojo, some of those. How would you distinguish Nix Bitcoin from those? Is it mainly the security reproducibility aspects of it, or is there anything else in particular? I think um, security and reprodu- reproducibility are two aspects that we can't talk enough about because um, that's really what you want is you want to enter your node every day and see that your money's still there. You want to um, never have a broken node with your funds gone. And um, you uh, reproducibility also means that we can implement Uh, all these really cool features um, that users need and um, especially uh, startups, merchants need. Um, We can get into that later, but when it comes to at this point, at this point now, what um, makes us different is that is really the security aspect and the fact that we're building on uh, NixOS, which allows us to do many more things uh, in the future. And um, I've taken a look at a bunch of these uh, these um, other node projects like uh, MyNode, and I've seen a lot of really uh, quick programming, like uh, setting every service to run under the same user. And a lot of this stuff that's, I think, really justifiably focused on quickly making uh, it usable by um by uh the consumer market but that's not what we're about we're not about cutting corners and running every service under the same user with no hardening options without our hardened kernel that's just non-optional because again i came at this from the privacy angle from the security angle and that's uh for a bitcoiner and for um enterprises that's something that it's a non-starter to not have that. So, um, and Ronan Dojo is, uh, I, I listened to your episode with Samurai, uh, with the Samurai co-founder, and it seems to me that that's, it's only focused on 
being a backend for your Samurai wallet, whereas we can uh, be a backend for Electrum, for uh, C Lightning, for LND, for um, Join Market, for Samurai, for Wasabi. And that's where, where we're going is being, as it says in the Twitter bio, being a purely functional Bitcoin ecosystem, which uses this foundation to basically offer any kind of functionality that needs a backend, which pretty much is everything to do with Bitcoin that you want to preserve your privacy and security with. I see. Yeah. And so I guess it, it just depends what kind of user you are. Uh, for instance, you might be a user who is using a plug and play node mainly for the Electrum Rust server aspect, and it's not necessarily holding your keys. It's just hold. It's just doing the Electrum yes. server aspect, and you might hold the keys on a hardware wallet, or you might have some multi-signature, let's say. So then maybe you've got a diff you're running on a, you're kind of using a different model to think about your security. Uh, although obviously, there's still risks with that anyway. Um, and I suppose the Electrum server are, knows a bunch yeah. of your addresses, for example. So that's something privacy related. Um, also, the Electrum, uh, the Electrum server, you want to be able to that that it's running at all times and uh, so it really even a simple setup like that benefits from what we've built into Nick's Bitcoin. Of course, right? Um, no, and that totally makes sense to me. Um, and also, it, it's worthwhile considering if you are running Lightning or if you are using Join Market Coin Joining or even Samurai Whirlpool CLI Coin Joining. You have effectively it's kind of like the keys are hot, and so then yeah, you have to think about keys... security for that too. Join market is really um, a great, great um, piece of software, and it's the best example for something that you want to be on a secure hot machine. Um, we have a PR up right now that's uh, we're reviewing at the moment, and I've been running it on my node for the last couple of weeks without any issues. And I'm every time I open up the node, I'm really satisfied with the way th that Nix Bitcoin secure secures my funds. Which, um, if you go onto the Join Market order book, some people have a thousand bitcoins in there. That's you know that's really a, a huge risk they're taking security-wise, and um, so I think there's definitely a place for a security uh, and minimalist uh, node like ours. Let's talk a little bit more in detail about the security hardening that's available with Nix Bitcoin. So. Uh, as a quick example, uh, I've noticed on the Twitter feed you were you were chatting a little bit about access through an SSH key, and yeah, could you outline a little bit around? Yeah, that's kind of that, that was a that's a bit of a joke at the moment because um, really the management interface right now is the command line, so that and SSH is the way into that command line on a remote machine, and SSH really is a great piece of software that offers a lot of security. So uh, it's kind of a, a meme that, you know, um, my SSH keys are on a Tracer wall, uh, hardware wallet. So that's really a strong level of security to enter your node remotely with. But uh, I think that as the project continues, we'll have some kind of management interface that's not the command line, exactly for the reason that we want um, to deliver this kind of security and um, and just the thought we've put into every single option and every single um, setting that's possible with Nix Bitcoin, we we want to have that 
that power available to a, a wide range of people. So um, that that security feature is uh, something great for developers like myself, but I think we can deliver the same security even in a web interface with something like U2F, uh, which also works with the Tracer hardware wallet. Um, but regarding the general security principles of uh, Nix Bitcoin, I think it really starts with uh, minimalism, that you have a node that only has the software you really need. And that's not possible with a general Linux distribution, um, at least not, uh, not in a way where you're not going to break it at some point when you start deinstalling a bunch of packages. That's what I used to do with Debian is really try to uninstall everything that I could. And at some point that would result in a completely broken system. So I've been around Debian, I've been around normal Linux distributions and there's been nothing that comes close to NixOS on the minimalism aspect because it really has a kind of formula where it goes through and calculates what you need and builds only that. So nothing will ever come close to NixOS on that aspect. Um, and when you don't have something, uh, if something isn't there, then you can't attack that. So that's number one is the minimalism. Then uh, number two, I'd say, is really the reproducibility of the code. Um, not only all the um, higher level stuff like Bitcoin and Sea Lightning and LND, which we always we have these scripts where we uh, verify uh, the hash with um, the developers GPG keys. So we're really focus on not getting bad software into um, not getting not getting bad bitcoin software into our project but then even the entire stack the linux kernel everything under that is also reproducible with uh, nixos so you know that you have the exact same system that uh, everybody else has and then uh, so reproducibility i think has been a, a topic that people have been talking about recently because it's so important for bitcoin for something that completely relies on its security um, assumption on the security of the individual machines where Bitcoin is installed. So that's um, number two, I'd say. Then uh, number three, uh, it's close between defense and depth and uh, kind of the compartmentalization. I'll start with the compartmentalization that we've built into Nix Bitcoin. So every, every service that we have runs in its own little box. So that's what we do with system D. Um, we put every service uh, in its own little box under its own user. Uh, it can only see its own directory. And uh, now even with network namespaces, it can't even scope out your entire network. It can only scope out um, its own network in its little Linux namespace and the ones that we've allowed it to see. And outside processes, outside of that network namespace, also can't look inside. So that's where we spend a lot of time is really taking these services apart, putting them in different boxes, and then saying, okay, where do they need to connect? What do they actually need to see? And only that is allowed. And um, that offers a great deal of security because now um, the programs like SparkWallet that connect to your C Lightning They'll never see join market. They'll never see Electrum. They'll never see Bitcoin D. So that's uh, 
that, that's something that every time I open my box, I'm really happy about. And um, uh, then finally, defense in depth, which uh, means putting up multiple walls. So we have um, users, we, have, we isolate by users, we isolate with system D, we isolate on the network level. Um, we really try to have multiple lines of defense. And right now we're reviewing something that I think Jonas and me think could be security relevant. And we realize that because of the compartmentalization we've built in, it's actually not that big of a security issue because we've spent all this time putting up multiple defenses. It's actually being caught, we think, by one line of our defense. So we'll be putting out a fix for that in the next few days and also probably talking to other projects uh, about this. Yeah, interesting. And so some of what you were spelling out there, it kind of reminds me of um, when people talk about Cubes OS as well, where the idea is each like like each application is like its own little VM and that way it's kind of firewalled off from the rest of uh, yeah. the system. So I think Cubes is actually really interesting to start off on because uh, that's a perfect explanation of where Nix OS is great. So Cubes, I use personally on my laptop. I love it. Um, it's It offers so much. I recommend every developer who is working on security critical stuff to install it because you don't want to have something malicious on your system, which is able to compromise your signing keys or put it in some, some bad code into uh, your repositories. But um, it could never be used for a Bitcoin node because um, it's... If, you, if you've ever set it up, you need to spend a lot of time setting up the individual VMs, uh, making sure that uh, you allow all these firewall rules, and you have to do that all manually. And doing that every time is it's unfeasible. And what we've done with Nix Bitcoin is basically written these text files, these code files, where you just deploy from those and you'll get the same system with those all those settings pre-installed every time you deploy it. And even on multiple machines that you deploy it on, you'll get the exact same state. So um, Cubes is a perfect example of how security can get in the way of functionality. And we can have both with Nix Bitcoin. I was looking through and you mentioned that you've got Tor, ClearNet and WireGuard. Can you outline a little bit about the ways that the next Bitcoin you know, talks to the outside world. Yeah, it's, that's um, really interesting. And that's been a huge uh, kind of construction site at the moment. It's really something we've been thinking about deeply is um, what, how do we want to expose um, these individual services to the bad, bad outside internet world. And um, right now we're to tour by default it's really the only perfectly supported way is, is Tor at the moment. It's really um, what I use and what I think before we get it, come up with a really good solution, that's where we want to steer the users towards. Um, I know that uh, in an enterprise setting, like with uh, Donner Lab, it's not that easy uh, to use Tor because of the latency. So. Um, they've built their own WireGuard systems stuff with um, uh, with Nix Bitcoin. So if I can just quickly explain what WireGuard is, it's this um, new VPN uh, client server, both sides, 
this tunnel that's built right into the uh, Linux kernel that is a, a degree, a real, just it's a completely different level of simplicity compared to OpenVPN, and uh, which allows you to have these tunnels across the internet that are, effect, uh, are authenticated with uh, a public-private key pair. And um, you can just make this tunnel from any box to any other box and uh, pass network traffic. So that's something really interesting for uh, Nix Bitcoin. And ClearNet is, as we all know, it's the base layer and it's really usable. And we also want to make that um, accessible. So uh, the plan at the moment is to take the network namespaces that we've built. And on top of that, for every network namespace, give these three, four options um, how you want people to be able to connect into. Uh, we want them to, by default, be accessible through Tor version 3 hidden services. And then we want them to be easily accessible through a WireGuard uh, tunnel where it just shows you the QR code. And you can uh, enter that on your um, phone or whatever device you're connecting from. And we want to make it accessible through ClearNet with automatic transport layer security um, like, uh, you know, with um, that green lock in your browser that just has secured the entire internet so beautifully in the last year, a few years. When we're chatting about this, uh, I guess there's probably two main areas that the Bitcoin person is thinking about. So one might be they are out and about and they're on their mobile phone and let's say they're running you know, a Spark wallet or a Zeus wallet and they want to connect back to their own Sea Lightning I think right now a lot of people will just do that through Tor because you know it might be a bit simpler uh, and they don't want to expose their home, you know, IP and so on. Uh, yeah, you don't want to worry. That... You don't want to worry about all that NAT stuff, and Tor just completely gets rid of all that um, NAT translation networking stuff that is really hard to understand, <laughs> to be honest. So right. um, Tor has a wide range of um, of uh, benefits in the consumer space. But sorry, I interrupted right. you. Just wanted to throw that quickly in there. What I love about Yeah, no, of course, too. that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's. I think that's totally right. And so I think the downside then is that it can be a bit slower and sometimes it's not as reliable. Um, so then if you're out and about and you want to check your lightning channels and then it takes a bit of time to load up and sometimes it's a little buggy because again, things are early, then that, you know, can be, it's not as smooth as an, you know, a customer experience. And so what some other people are doing is they're doing like a VPN style setup. And I suppose this is where, let's say the WireGuard um, setup might be a little bit more amenable to that. I've also noticed uh, some of the Noddle users, they like to use zero tier, which is more, as I understand, that's more like a VPN style setup. So could you just tell us a little bit about your thoughts there and, is WireGuard going to be something a little bit easier to manage there for the, you know, just think the typical Bitcoin hodler who wants to manage his lightning channels? Yeah, so um, WireGuard and Zero Tier are uh, both VPN solutions. Um, WireGuard has just gotten a lot of positive attention recently and has been put right in the Linux kernel, which means that it's um, it's really well vetted and a great piece of software. So a zero tier and WireGuard have the same uh, functionality, but I think that WireGuard is um, much better and 
in terms of the pure technology. Um, you said that uh, the the usual uh, you know hodler would he he just see the QR code in his um, in his interface, install the WireGuard app, and just scan that, and that would um, make it so that uh, he can connect to his own home uh, address at home with almost no latency and um, without worrying about networking stuff and actually providing a reasonable degree of privacy as well in the process. And um, the great benefit that I see VPNs having is that they have such wide support on all different kinds of devices. So Android, iOS, everything has WireGuard in their app store. Um, which you can't say about Tor. You know, Apple puts up a lot of barriers to um, to cross app communication, so you don't have a Tor uh, daemon in the Apple App Store, and uh, which means that every app needs to package Tor itself, and a lot of apps haven't done that. So um, VPNs are something we need to have, and we will have quite soon. And we've chosen WireGuard. Zero tier, I'm not so hot about. If I recall correctly, I think Zap, the iPhone version, has the Tor built yeah. into it. Um, we were actually involved in that discussion from the very beginning. I think that when we tried to implement LND on our um, on our node, that's something we we thought about in the very beginning. And it turns out that now, beautifully, Tor does work, and it works with Nix Bitcoin. Okay, great. So what about in the case where someone is a merchant and they want to expose their BTC pay server uh, and they don't want to necessarily open up unnecessarily the security risk there? How does a Nix Bitcoin user handle that? So um, for the user, it's really great to be running with Tor or WireGuard. He, uh, he or she limits um, the exposure of, of their node. Um, towards a bunch of these um, uh, privacy risks uh, and, and makes it easier to deploy across uh, a NAT. Um, and they get access to uh, this really refined project where um, you have a continuous integration, a bunch of automated tests that make sure it's working at every point with every configuration. And when something doesn't work, uh, they file a bug report and it gets fixed. And the merchant that uses the same platform actually benefits from that too, because now they're using something that's been tested in such a wide range of setups for a bunch of different users um, that have all tried un just entropy-wise a bunch of different stuff. And um, it's been fixed, refined, and um, they benefit from this. And the user benefits also from the enterprise that has resources to make everything better. Um, so I think it's really powerful to put these two projects together, merchants and consumer, like we're doing. And uh, when it comes to a merchant, the way they would be able to use Nix Bitcoin is to put it on a secure server in a secure data center somewhere um, and uh, use a WireGuard tunnel to expose just their BTC pay server um, to uh, their main e-commerce shop and voila, now they have a secure backend for all their Bitcoin uh, circular economy transactions. And so in that example, then they have not exposed their uh, Nix Bitcoin directly. It's going via their public website. Or ha Can you outline a little bit about that part? 
Yeah, it's going via their public website. I don't think it's a good idea to put a big website, uh, a web server that has so many different people coming in um, on the same server as a Bitcoin node uh, with potentially even hot funds uh, when it comes to Lightning. So either the merchant would have a separate BTC pay server instance, which then uses WireGuard to communicate with the individual services like Bitcoin D and um and lightning network daemons on the um, network level, just a WireGuard tunnel, taking that um, connection on their local machine to the connection on their secure server. Or they'd also run a BTC pay server inside Nix Bitcoin and just expose that you know port 443 or 80, the HTTP port to the outside world with a WireGuard tunnel um, to a... Uh, WireGuard server that's publicly reachable and they can forward traffic to that from their website. Okay, great. And so just speaking about Nix Bitcoin just more broadly and just generally around the question of difficulty of use. So how do you see that uh, kind of improving over time? That's the central piece here for getting it into the hands of users. I think it's going to improve, but we want to improve it without compromising these um, fundamentals we've built in. So we want users to build their own software from source code. We want it to stay reproducible. We want um, it to um, remain. So uh, compromising a password, which is commonplace at this point, is not going to lose you your funds. Um, All this stuff we want to maintain while making uh, Nix Bitcoin more usable. And that's a real challenge. But I think that we'll find an elegant way to do that by in um, one facet of that is moving everything to the node itself. So it builds it's the software it deploys to itself. That's something we're working on. It's actually not that difficult um, uh, to do with NixOS. And then the second aspect would be to expose some kind of management interface, uh, potentially through a standalone app that authenticates itself with a locally stored key or a web interface where we would definitely use something like uh, U2F, which is, in my opinion, the best two-factor solution because it uses this hardware token that you physically have to depress. And that hardware token also verifies that it's communicating with the proper website. So you can't really be fished anymore. And um, that's that would be one option. Or we make the even the web interface behind a WireGuard tunnel where you need to authenticate to the WireGuard tunnel with a key first before you're allowed to communicate even with the web interface. So those are the avenues with which we're, we can work. Um, I think that once we move out of the stage, which is the next stage of that stage, the next stage being... Um, Unix familiar, command line familiar crowd. Once we get to that stage and start moving out of that, we'll pick a final path. But it's much more difficult to get the fundamentals right to go into depth on all these manuals, the C Lightning manual, the LND manual, the Bitcoin manual, find all the different options that um, uh, work together, how they work together, and packaging that all for the user to... Um, be able to uh, use easily. And that's the real ease of use we're focusing on at the moment. And then, you know, that graphical stuff is just one more step from there. But getting the foundation right is what allows you 
to make it easy to use for uh, everybody. And I'm really excited, by the way, of getting software into it like um, uh, like CoinJoin software, Wasabi, Samurai. Um, so people can use this wallet while they're walking around. They can connect to their own little Nix Bitcoin node that's hosted on their own server at home um, and uh, just enjoy this kind of privacy and security that uh, they are entitled to. This is um, what how the world was meant to be. The private information is supposed to be private and the secure, your funds are supposed to be secure against anyone. Uh, and that's kind of the world we're moving towards uh, by making everybody have a, a, an easy way to deploy a node app in their home. There are lots of different node options and obviously people have varying levels of technical ability to read the code and verify for themselves. Is there anything that you guys could do or the project could do to make it like to mitigate that users having to trust the developers aspect? Because, you know, hypothetically, if there were some malicious code and the user just clicks update without knowing, and in fairness, this is a risk across, you know, many things in the Bitcoin mm -hmm. world. Um, but do you have any thoughts on mitigating that risk? First of all, the risk is less with Nix Bitcoin because... Uh, we are actually uh, can, because of NixOS, every NixOS, every Nix Bitcoin node out there is running the same software, and that's verifiable because of the re reproducibility. So um, that's a really strong defense. Uh, number one against uh, us inserting malicious code or uh, stuff upstream getting compromised. Because once we've pinned the hash, once we've verified that the software is good ourselves we pin the hash, it's going to be the same software that everybody's using. So that's number one, how we're defending it against this right now. And then when it comes to trusting us, we have a completely open development process. Um, unlike some other uh, node projects, which are closed source at the moment and want to uh, publish their source code once it's ready, namely that would be Noddl, uh, that's not the approach we're taking because if it's not good enough to be out in the open, it's definitely not good enough for people to risk their privacy and their security with something, things that are so precious. Uh, I don't think you should ever risk those with proprietary software. And um, so our development process is completely open. Uh, everything's happening on GitHub. And every, people can see our discussions, our, um, our uh, different approaches. Everything's on GitHub, and the stuff that isn't on GitHub is in our public IRC channel. And then going further from that, uh, something I'm really excited about is uh, either we want to uh, release software with some kind of multi-sig setup where Jonas, I, and some other developers have to sign every single release and the user verifies that client side, or I have not really communicated this with the other developers yet, but I'm looking into uh, Frank Brown's uh, code chain approach, which makes it impossible to um, target a backdoor to one person, uh, even if you have the signing keys. So you need to backdoor everybody with the same source code if you want, if if you're compromised, and that's a much better security assumption because people are going to realize that when it's deployed to everybody. 
So uh, when it comes, yeah, I think you're based in Australia, right? Yep. They have this bill there, which uh, can force developers to put in targeted backdoors. And I think we're going to see that rolled out across the Western world. Uh, I'm not looking forward to it, but I think it's going to, it's going to slowly be creeping in. And that's where something like code chain comes in, where we can't target a backdoor to one user. We have to target a backdoor to every user. And that's going to get noticed very quickly because we have technical users who are going to notice that. One other question, is it, uh, is there like a natural kind of dichotomy here where sometimes certain projects appeal more to a very technical user, but then once like a lot of newbie users turn up, the more technical ones lose interest. Is that something you might foresee here? Or is it more just like you see this as like, this is going to be part of the underlying infrastructure and therefore, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who maintain interest in the project. I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen because the technical users benefit from normal users in the same exact way that normal users benefit from uh, technical users because normal users are using Android 5.0 and they're doing some weird stuff and they're uh, you know actually using this in the world. So they're going to find a bunch of bugs that technical users are never going to find. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the influx of newbies because they're going to really use this sort this project in, in a bunch of different ways and are going to make it really start to live. That's something I was impressed with the Samurai co-founder interview where he kept on focusing on the user. And that's what we're building software for is a user. It, you can build the most beautiful piece of software like Nix Bitcoin is. If nobody's using it, then it's really not alive. And um, so... I don't think, uh, first of all, I'm looking forward to users of all different backgrounds um, coming towards uh, Nix Bitcoin. And then I also think that everybody's going to benefit from it. And we're going to have a really well-tested, refined uh, node set up that, you know, whether it's an enterprise, a uh, startup like Donor Lab or normal users or guys, uh, developers themselves, we're all going to benefit from this one tested and 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 refined project. Gotcha. Um, right. Just a small correction. Uh, that uh, that's uh, I, th- I believe you're referring to Zelko. So he's not actually a Samurai co-founder. He's actually more like a community member. But that's a small thing. Um, but uh, to the broader point about uh, you know Nix Bitcoin and having a, a range of users, uh, uh, certainly take that point. Um, I guess it's interesting though because uh, I'm sure you've probably seen uh, there's like a famous XKCD comic about how there's 14 standards and people say oh what we need is one standard to unify them all and then the next panel is oh now there's now there's 15 standards yeah Yeah. Uh, of course that's always the risk but with um, NixOS we're building on an infrastructure that's being used already. So we're not really going out there and reinventing the wheel. We're just using the wheel, how it's meant to be used. And well, I think the standard is going to be the one because uh, it's, it's, it's usable for, uh, for uh, all, all use cases. So um, underlying infrastructure, yes. It has the potential, but we're also happy about every user that finds benefit, be it a an enterprise or a developer or whoever. That's 
you know, we don't need to take over everything to make a difference and to be really happy about building good software. Right. Yeah. It just needs to hit a certain level of users such that it kind of sustains and uh, is, uh, you know, commonly thought of as a common, you know, group, if you will. So even now, if people talk about uh, different discussions around, oh, okay, how many people are running nodes? And if it's kind of one of the ones that people think of commonly, then I guess that's, that's at least a, uh, that's kind of at least a good sign that uh, people are thinking, okay, there's a good bunch of users out there who are on this particular package. They're on this particular, you know, software stack, right? Um, So let's talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about the development and the community aspects of it. So uh, obviously it's quite small right now, as I gather from you. Uh, What are the main ways of collaboration? I presume, I mean, uh, you've got a GitHub, you mentioned an IRC. Are Are those the main ways you'd like people who want to contribute to come and chat with you and to participate yeah github is really great because it's become this focal point for development so github is really strong we've seen irc i really personally like irc but i think that to be realistic not a lot of um regular people are are going around irc so i'm open to um expanding our communication infrastructure. And uh, what I'm really also uh, planning myself to do is releasing a bunch of uh, YouTube videos and easy tutorials. You know, that's still, it's communication. It's one way, but it's going to make it a lot easier for people to start it up. And they're going to see that it's actually not as difficult as um, they probably expect. It's just basically three or four commands and you're, you're there. And um, so, uh, to go back to your original question, uh, GitHub is probably the best way of communication around software development. When it comes to support, um, we have limited resources because we're not really, we don't really have a business model yet. But when there is a business model or if there is a business model, then uh, we'll find a way, we'll make a way for, for users to get in touch with us easily. I see. Yeah. And I guess one other question around if somebody wants to do, let's say, Nick's Bitcoin on a Raspberry Pi or on one, on one of those single board computer style mm-hmm. things, that's something that the project works with or supports, is it? Yeah, that's that's how we use it right now. Um uh, is on single board computers. Uh, not right now, uh, the Raspberry Pi, but I'm I, I'm pretty sure it works. Uh, we should try that too. But uh, the APU PC engines, um, single board machines, they're really fun because they are more powerful. They can take an SSD without you know using a USB cable or something. Um, and uh, when people have asked what kind of hardware to use, I've always recommended that. But it works on a Raspberry Pi, and um, it works in the cloud also, which is how uh, Donna uh, Lab is using it. Last topic was just around hardware and where we where we're going with some of that. So there is a little bit more chatter and talk about the idea of moving towards open hardware. And so here, some of the things you might hear people talk about are you know, risk five reduced instruction set. I can't remember exactly what it stands for. Um, and uh, some other people talk about Raptor computing and things like that. Basically, the idea is trying to move towards these more open hardware uh, methods as a way to also 
you know, for, for, for security reasons. So do you have any thoughts on that or on what is uh, like an optimal or if, if someone's more concerned about that, what sort of um, hardware should they be looking to run Nix Bitcoin on? Uh, so uh, the APU is also is already pretty good because it has a core boot open source firmware. Um, so you kind of uh, already have a good level of hardware security with that. Um, different kinds of architectures like OpenPower 9, which, um, ta- with, um, which Talos uses uh, and um, uh, from Raptor uses and RISC-V, they're really uh, in the beginning right now. So I don't know if a, if a normal user is going to be really happy with that yet. You're going to run into a lot of issues with compiling software just stuff that you don't want to deal with and um an enterprise also they're you know it's probably best for developers at the moment but that's something that's getting better every day um right now i'd recommend to um get a a, a uh, apu or, or some kind of other core booted device and then Follow the um, install manual. We have some tips on how to further harden your uh, hardware on a firmware level, deactivating some features that have recently been used to do exploits. But, uh, you know, with the hardening we've built in, you always have to think about how is somebody going to attack you? And they don't have a lot of attack surface with us. You know, there's no uh, browser running that you're browsing on different websites with there there's really no way to deliver an exploit properly and even where there would be you have a bunch of different uh, you have new walls you have different kind of walls of security around that which make it even more difficult so chaining a bunch of exploits and then um, leaving you know using a hardware uh, vulnerability uh, at the moment is outside of our threat model because the people who have that threat model, it's, wow, you've really done a lot of work to get yourself there. I see. Yeah, (laughs) makes sense. And another topic, maybe before we close, is a business model. That's, you know, something I think that every good project that wants to survive at some point needs to have. And um, I think we're still on that front looking for something that is as elegant as, as, uh, the coin join model, which is one of the best business models probably out there, is just uh, making money on a service, on a fee that also serves a, uh, a security function as a, DDO, as a denial of service protection inside the service. So it's really extremely elegant. And that would be um, something interesting for Nix Bitcoin if we can offer some kind of service uh, like, let's say, um, managing a lightning node, that's something complicated and you often have to make decisions about, okay, wh- who are you going to open a channel with? How are you going to balance that? And um, how are you going to establish yourself as a really good rooting node? And maybe we could uh, have some kind of API with a logic running on a back end where uh, people are uh, calling or submitting some data and uh, asking for the best possible decision and we charge them uh, on a, on the lightning network on every request that's something just that came to mind uh 
recently, but um, that would be a business model that could sustain mixed Bitcoin or just selling pre-installed hardware. But that comes with a bunch of security risks as well, which we would need probably we would want to mitigate before we start shipping hardware with pre-installed software on it. Yep. So it sounds like you you could either sell the pre-installed uh, box basically, or you might try to do something more like a Red Hat model where you are the consultant and the software is yeah. free. But if they want additional technical support, then that's where that you that's where they would pay for it. Or something like yeah, Nextcloud, which is a great example. It's open to every user, but as soon as a as an enterprise wants it, and they have a lot of specific needs to them. Uh, as soon as that happens, they need to um, charge. They need to pay for consulting and for um, subscription and stuff like that. So um, that's a way to monetize software. But I think right now it's really going good as an open source free software project, and we never compromise security or our values in order to make this a super profitable project because it will it can succeed in its limited way even as a free software project. Excellent. Well, look, I think that's all the questions I had. So, uh, Nick's Bitcoin, do you want to just let the listeners know where they can find you? Um, <laughs> Nick's Bitcoin was a name that uh, I adapted specifically for this project. So there might be a bunch of confusal around that. That's why recently um, I've changed the name to Nick's Bitcoin Dev. And uh, it's, you know, for me, it, reaching me is not really that important. Uh, with the Twitter project, uh, with a project, it has its own Twitter uh, and uh, on GitHub. Um, uh, Fort Nix is the organization, and then Nix Bitcoin is the repo. Uh, always good place to submit stuff. And then IRC is at the moment our communication way, and uh, yeah, Twitter also as a communication, both sided through uh, messages or posts. Um, and we'd be happy to have you at this point. Uh, maybe it's a bit too early if you're not um, if you're not super interested in uh, in figuring out a bunch of low level stuff. But um, you'll see a bunch. You'll see uh, YouTube videos. You'll see uh, guides coming out that are going to make it really accessible. And then then uh, communication will also scale with that. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure and um, look forward to hearing the podcast and other podcasts. So go and take a look at Nick's Bitcoin. If you haven't already, don't forget to give my show a review on Apple or whatever platform you are listening to this show on. And you can find me at stefanlevera.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels. 